Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, how's everyone doing out there? It's your guy, Dave Neal. Hope you're all well. Uh, this episode, I have a fantastic conversation with a dating therapist, a, psycho- a clinical psychologist. Her Instagram is at Back to Love Doc, and her name is Dr. Diane Strakowski. I'm going to talk about her a little bit in a minute, but for everyone who's listening to the podcast and doesn't necessarily follow Bachelor Nation, as you guys know, I so delicately uh, kind of like relate my Bachelor Nation news uh, into the fabric, the weaving of this podcast. Now, you don't have to know too much about the show to know what we're going to talk about on this episode, but I will say this. This last Hometowns episode, Katie Thurston got in a bad fight with Greg Grippo, and it left a lot of people sort of doing that armchair diagnosing. Oh, he was gaslighting her. He was being manipulating. He was emotionally abusive. Different things. And it's important for us to understand what all these terms are so we can see them in a relationship when it's being done to us and in moments where we might be doing this to somebody else. Oh, why do I lash out that way? Well, there's my inner child is being defend, you know, I'm defending my inner child and my ego, whatever the case might be. What we need to learn moving forward with our lives, with our personal relationships, with our family, with our friends, with our lovers, is how to sort of authentically get our points across so we can feel validated and loved and all that and also hear someone else's. And we don't all operate on the same language. Not only do we speak different love languages with how we receive love, but how we communicate that to others is so glaringly different. And in so many cases, a relatively good relationship can end because we, you know, it's it's not exactly semantics, but it's like we're just speaking different languages. If I say this means love and you need to hear it a different way, it's all about kind of, um, as the uh, doctor will say, uh, uh, I think she calls it the platinum standard, not the gold standard. It's about... Uh, converting what someone else says and making it work for you and vice versa. It's about learning how to speak the way others need to be spoken to in a relationship. This is good info. You're going to love it. Without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Dr. Diane Strakowski. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited right now to talk with Dr. Diane Strakowski. How are you doing today? I'm awesome, Dave. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here. I am so excited to chat. We just kind of got connected through the Bachelor Nation universe. You've got videos going viral on Instagram at Back to Love Doc, and you've been talking about The Bachelor, the the franchise, and relating it to how you work. Now, tell me, you're a is it a clinical a psychologist? Is that what you are? Yes, I'm a licensed psychologist. I've been doing this therapy for over 20 years, so I work with serious conditions also, like depression and anxiety, OCD. Uh, eating disorders, uh, you name it. But I'm a relationship expert, a couples therapist, and my expertise is really in attachment styles. And so when I watched the show, at first, Dave, it was a, a guilty pleasure. I just, I always love the show. And I've been watching it from the very beginning. But then I thought, wow, how can I combine my two passions, psychology and The Bachelor, Bachelorette, I'm gonna call myself The Bachelor Psychologist. Self-appointed, but I love to give people an understanding, especially with all the drama, what's really happening, to give them a lens of understanding and then how to apply this to your own life. Yeah, no, I, I always say like light is a, or sunlight's the greatest disinfectant. And there's so much that we see that's toxic in, in reference to this last episode, Greg Grippo 
Katie Thurston, but like we don't like plebeians like me don't even know how to describe. We're like, we don't like that. So we use terms like he's gaslighting her, he's manipulating her. And then we rely on people like you and others that are very educated that go, well, let's unpack it. Let's let's do all that. So that's why I guess we're here to talk to figure out, you know, even though we all mean well, what the hell is actually happening over there? Yes. Where should we begin? <laughs> so at what point did, you know, because you two, two happy people can be perfectly fine. You know, my, my relationship, we've been together for a long time. We use in on my podcast and everything, my relationship has kind of a case study, but we've got very different personality types. When we fight, I have to be very quiet. I have to be far away. I can't corner her. I have to be like in a way, whereas my inner desire is to be needy and hug and resolve. And I have to just like, I have to be counterintuitive to what I want to do. So everyone's different. We can't pretend like everyone else acts the way we do, but were you able to see Greg Grippo having, you know, were you able to see the jealousy flares coming up or does it just kind of expose itself all at once? So here's the thing, what I say, Dave, my whole thing, and according to attachment theory and why this is just such a perfect theory to help understand this is we are all like tea. You don't know who someone is until you put them in hot water. And then you get the sense of their flavor. And in attachment styles, it's that's when you feel threatened that your most neediness comes out when you're triggered. And the show, why people like to watch it is because it's fast paced, but we're throwing them into a hot boiling pot of water. And it's only a matter of time then before someone's going to boil, right? They're, they're gonna pop. And that's what we saw was Greg's neediness and his jealousy all coming out because he was the front runner, right? He was the front runner until Blake showed up. And the threat that I think happened for Greg was when Blake arrived. And this whole time then he's been a simmering pot ready to boil. And then when he was around his family and felt like their uh, approval, then Greg was ready to go deeper. And then Katie didn't respond. And that's what just broke him open. That's how yeah. he cascaded. I always call, I don't know where I heard this term, but I call it flaring the limbic system. And that's kind of that fight or flight moment where we have it in our relationship where if we're rushed or something's going on, it's like in those moments when I notice I've flared her limbic system, or if I'm stressed before a stand-up show or anxious, it's like, those are the important moments not to, not to snap. Cause we can, we can take a nice weekend and, and throw it on its head real quick. And with their scenario, you had Greg Grippo who we don't know for sure what happened, but probably went on the hometown date and then probably saw um, uh, Blake's date afterwards. I think they're saying it was actually done in reverse uh, in the actual filming schedule, had several days to ruminate about it and yeah. and, and it became his own worst enemy. I mean, what's the, what's the solution for people who do have jealous tendencies to, to not let their own ruminations kind of get the best of them? Well, here's the thing. In anxiously attached people, they overthink and we presume that our thoughts are true. So I'm scanning the environment. My brain has one job, Dave, and that's to keep me safe. I scan the environment for things that look threatening because I need to protect myself about those things. But now I'm looking for evidence to confirm my own biggest fear, like I'm not going to be chosen, right? So Greg now is looking like, Oh yeah, she acted a little weird there. Oh yeah, she pulled back a little bit. Oh yeah, sure, she's told me she was falling for me earlier, but she hasn't said it lately, right? And he goes down the rabbit hole 
of overthinking, presuming the worst. And that's when you see him. And that's why he comes to her so pent up, has had days to think about it. Probably he's not sleeping mm. and he is just filled with it. And unless, though he said, I'm not asking for you to tell me I, you love me, he really was. Yeah. And I always said this, like, you know, the, the whole like conditional love is very dangerous to be like, I love you. And you're waiting to hear it back. That's like, you could, I love you. And I'll let you get to the terms that you need to get to. It almost seems like he, you know, everyone says, oh, you signed up for the show. You should know. It's like, we never, none of us know how, how, I mean, I would probably be a, a mess on that show with my, oh my God. I, I think that's the thing. And you could see for Greg, it just got very real. And at that point, when you say, if I'm only going to propose to one person in my life and I'm getting ready to get down on a knee, and now I don't know if you're sure about me, then, oh my God, this is a threat, right? This is a really big deal. So as a therapist, how do you, how do you convince, now, obviously we're doing this from like, uh, you know, the outside looking in, but how would, if you, if this was like, if you were actually like managing both of them how do you convince him to know what he's going through versus tell him hey you're a nervous person hey you're anxious you're doing this how do you like convince somebody so basically what i'm asking is if he watches this back how does he improve so he doesn't get a flare this way in the future that's a beautiful question and dave i i talked about this in my live yesterday because i said what would a more secure functioning person do so let me just lay it out in attachment theory there's four different types there's the securely attached person who early on in their childhood did receive unconditional love from their parents, soothing, validation, acknowledgement. So the child feels safe in their body and safe in the world. And when I feel safe, then I'm not hypervigilant. I'm not fixating on every little thing you do or not. Now, supposedly in attachment theory, that's 50% of the population. But do you think 50% of the population is secure? No, I don't. Yeah, I don't think. I no. So the other three types are anxiously attached, which I think both Greg and um, Katie are. The next is avoidant anxious, the person who's really has a lot of walls up. OK, and then the third is the fearful avoidant, the person who actually has really experienced trauma. And that's like a much smaller percentage. So as a psychologist myself, I studied at Stanford. I wanted to understand the research of this. I created my own love style quiz. And I created my characters, Nervous Nora and Nick, instead of like the anxious person, independent Isabel and Ian, secure Steve and Sophia, and then confused Connie and Connor. I wanted to take the sting out of these terms. But my data says the majority of people are insecure, 75% of them, 46% mm. of women are this anxious type, 31% of men are that type, and then the rest breaks down differently. So more people are insecure than they are secure. And this is what shows up in dating. And this is why dating is hard. Now, has this increased because of the ambiguities with dating as far as like people not defining the relationship? You know, it used to be a give someone your pin, your jacket and your official. Now it's kind of like, who are we? You know, but because attachment style starts early in childhood, I think, Dave, the problem is we're seeing more anxiously attached people because parents are anxious. Oh. 
And because back to the day, you know, back in the day, we didn't have before like stranger danger and this worry that you might be kidnapped and then your, your kid's face is going to be on a milk carton, right? We started becoming anxious a while ago, and now we're seeing anxiety increase. Parents have so much information about how to, how to parent your child, what products to give them, what to do, that mothers themselves are anxious and they're transferring their anxiety to their children. And then they show up much later in the dating pool as anxious already. Fascinating. You know, I was raised for the most part by a single mom. She remarried, but she didn't have the bandwidth to be anxious. She was working, you know what I mean? So I am very laid back in a lot of ways. Be like, yeah, it'll be fine. Whereas my fiance, she was the firstborn. And I think, I don't know if these terms are legitimate or whatever, but she kind of refers to herself as counter-dependent where it's like, don't tell me what to do. My parents already did that. So she's kind of rebelled from what she was raised as. But, you know, it's fascinating because I always operate with the principle of like, everyone's trying their best with the information they have. So like Craig, Greg's not a bad guy. Katie's of course not a bad lady. They're just like, like, do you think if you were sitting there kind of moderating that argument, you could have helped them resolve it? Or do you think it was well, too far? So back to your original question, what would I have told Greg to do? Well, so I have like four steps that I actually help people through in therapy. One is you have to calm down first. You were correct when you talked about this limbic uh, phrase. And if, if, if my hand was a brain and this was my brain, here's my emotion regulation center in the nub here. And here's my rational thought. When I am dysregulated, whew, rational thought goes out the window. I have to calm down first before I can think rationally. So I would physiologically say, Greg, we got to breathe here, honey. We got to take a breath. We got to get out of this. You are ruminating too much. You're perceiving the worst. We don't know that information yet. Let's assume nothing's changed. That's what I would be telling Greg. Yeah, that's a good idea. Like, that's a good way to put it. Assume nothing has changed. And I guess he just, he couldn't get there because of the fear of being abandoned or being the idiot. Like we all know how the show goes. You see these yeah. guys that are just blindly yeah. proposing, thinking yeah. they're the one. And it's like, I guess that's kind of what they have to do and just assume you're like last season we have or a few seasons ago, we have Zach Clark. He was just a confident guy. He's battled addiction. Absolutely. Yeah. He just had that sort of like, and he's also older, you know, he's probably like uh, eight years older or so. So yep. he just kind of had that quiet stoicism and seemed to not be rattled by the other guys. And in the end that became way more attractive. And Dave, I used that example yesterday on my live and I said, what would be an example of a secure functioning person? And that was Zach, who, who was able to partner because the problem was as Greg was falling apart, right? As Greg was emotionally spiraling and feeling his feelings, his big feelings, right? He wasn't able to partner to Katie. He wasn't able to say, and how are you doing? Like Zach could say that to Tasha, how are you doing? This must be hard for you. And I'm convinced that if Greg actually could have pulled that off, we might have seen a different outcome. Yeah, because it was almost like you just see the two different languages being spoken and you go, all right, if you're this, if you're this type of electrical port and you're that type, here's the connector and just figure it out. And they just so the but she was chasing after him. You know, she was going to as far That's as right. she could. So here's the thing. Two emotionally anxious people are like fire. 
it's like fire and fire. And so at first it's really passionate. It's like exciting the chemistry. It's like we're twin flames. We're meant to be, this is awesome. Nobody's ever got me the way you have. And you see Greg connecting with Katie that way and talking about his father. Oh my God, your father died too, so did mine. And he starts projecting all of that, that you have filled a hole in my heart. But now Katie is also, again, in a position more of power and she's comparing to other guys. That's like, you're flooding me, dude. That's a lot. Yeah. Fill a hole in your heart. Like, wow, I have to mirror that. And then when Katie doesn't mirror that, that's when I alluded to the still phase, which is, can I explain what that is? Please, yes. Okay, so fascinating study that was done many years ago, I forget, that a psychologist came and there's a little baby who's interacting with their mother. The mother is cooing, ooh, ah, baby, baby. Then the experimenter comes and now tells the mother, come back in, or puts a blanket, I think, in front of the mother and says, don't make, a, don't make any movement whatsoever. So now she's like this still face and the baby is trying to get the mother's attention and you see the baby come undone mm. in seconds the baby starts crying and they're hysterical because like greg he's like i can't get to you i can't read you and the bigger problem is that what greg felt is there was a change like this baby felt this is you're not my mother who are you because Katie was so warm and inviting and open and vulnerable. Now, all of a sudden there's a change and that's for him what confirms this, that I'm not your lead guy. So the, the face that the mom's making uh, initially is like the comfort blanket for the baby. Yes, yes. Uh, how and it changes, the baby just freaks out. Now I, so now, and again, I'm not, cause I've been accused before of like oversharing, but I've talked about this for hours, hundreds of hours on my podcast. My fiance and I have had really hard, we had like early on, it was very tough for us to communicate during that limbic flare because I want to fix things. And then she would get walled up even more, give me the silence. She couldn't talk to me and that would drive me insane. What I know now is go walk the dog. You know, give her some time. Give literally, her giving her twenty minutes mm -hmm. would save things. But at the time, I would I would ruin a weekend because I'd be like, I need this now, and I I couldn't understand why she couldn't meet me there where she just needed a few minutes or maybe a little longer than a few minutes. But I've I've been that guy who has had that like nothing I could do to get through to her when in fact what I should have done is nothing at all and just given her some space. So I'm gonna give you a tip, a marital tip for free. Please do. So Dave, here's the difference between what we call the golden rule and the platinum rule. Okay. Have you ever heard of this? No. The golden rule is do unto your partner the way you would like to be done unto. The problem is you're using yourself as a reference point. And if you are someone who would like to hug and snuggle a kiss and work through it right away, that's what you think should happen. And when you don't get that, you're disappointed, like Greg, disappointed that she's not giving me that. I would be reassuring you, why aren't you doing that for me? But in couples therapy, we have to use what's called the platinum rule. The platinum rule says do unto your partner the way they need to be done unto, not the way you think that they should be done unto. You see? Yes. You have to appreciate the person's difference. And then I have to accept that what you need is different than what I need. And you know what became very hard was 
I think for a lot of men and maybe women as well is telling your partner what it is you need. Cause they, it, cause you know, it's like love languages. It's not, it's not important. My fiance did not know what an affirmation was. She didn't need it. She grew up beautiful. Everyone told her she was beautiful. She didn't need to be told she's beautiful. And I'm like, tell me I'm funny. I just had a stand up show. Just say, you know, you laughed. I mean, I don't need much, but just a little bit. And there's a difference too, even in communication of being what I call a high expressive person who, who I can't go to sleep. And if we have a problem, I want to deal with it now versus a low expressive person who might be even a slower communicator and need that space and time. So sometimes the high expressive person has to tone it down a little bit and the low expressive person has to build it up a little bit. Right. But I think what what happened with Katie and Greg is that he's in there and he thinks he's being very clear, right? He thinks, I'm just telling you, be real with me. Um, You know, and she, again, I think Katie changed. I think she got flooded by him. I think she looked at him and thought, holy shit, this is a lot. Yeah, like this is my biggest fear is having, you know, and, and could that be because she might have dated a guy in the past who was too needy? I mean, is that like a trigger that, that might just surface? Right. And they call that a trauma bond. But again, that word too is like, well, how big a trauma was that? I'm not questioning that. But yes, so she could be triggered by that. Remember, right at the beginning, she said, you remind me of my ex. Very true. Right. And maybe her ex was like that too, too much. And I think that she she's an anxious person and she needs an anchor. She needs a secure Steve type. She needs someone who's more confident. And I think she finds in that moment, Greg's neediness very unattractive. Now, when you when you see, you know, you probably see the comments and people, you know, I don't know if it's confirmation bias, but if they if they saw it Greg's way, they saw it Greg's way. And if they saw it Katie's way, they saw it Katie's way. And I just see it as regardless of where you start, it's kind of like, how did they finish? And in, in, in the end, she was chasing after him and he wouldn't even have it. So in the end, it was like, regardless of what caused the fire, he wouldn't put it out with her. So in that moment, what I call that um, is like pouting protest behavior. So the anxiously attached person is what we also call anxious, angry. Okay. Literally going back to children. We see this in like two-year-olds because this is already established. So how someone becomes anxious in the first place, David, is they've had a parent, one or the other parent who's inconsistent. They're there for me sometimes, not others. What I learn is this is how I learned to be an overthinker and an overprocessor is because I had to scan the environment and constantly figure out, are you here for me now? Are you here for me now? Where'd you go? And so I learned that for my own survival, that I need to overthink and I might need to work really hard in this relationship to get my needs met. So I might be attracted to someone who triggers that same response in me. Okay. So the person then is working really hard to kind of get that, get that attention. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So the, so it, and and of course we mentioned this before we went on air managing thirds. Yes, so, yeah. so, and let me finish my thought about this anxious, angry part. So then what happens is the child has seen a parent who's been inconsistent and in how attachment theory is first studied actually is in a laboratory in something called the strange situation where literally you bring a baby in with their parent and a stranger comes into the room because the stranger is the threat. The same thing that I said, like there's a threat. 
the stranger threatens the baby. The parent actually leaves the room and then comes back into the room and the baby's been left alone with the stranger, which is physiologically arousing. The baby's heart rate is up, their cortisol levels are up. Then when the parent comes back, we measure something called reunion behavior. And this is important. The baby has felt, you left me again. And that's what we see as the anxious, angry protest behavior. Now the baby like throws the toy, hits the parent, they're upset with them versus if I'm securely attached to you, you come back into the room, I fall into you like, oh, thank God you're back because you've been there for me unconditionally, you see? So now Greg in that moment is protesting and he doesn't wanna hear it from Katie at all. He has totally shut down and nothing she says and no matter how much she protests, he can't hear it because he's still mad at her that you didn't say, I love you. And, and she apologized several times because I think it was one of those things where like, like I, we've all been guilty of where she's like, oh, I didn't even know. I'm sorry. I, 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 she was oblivious to the fact that she was saying, you know, I just love, she was like, I love looking at you. In her mind, she's probably thinking, I promised I wouldn't tell the guys I love them. Maybe she receives a bonus. We, there's been some sort of thoughts that maybe she's, they, they've, they've rechanged the contract. So they're not allowed to say it because Claire said it 10 days in and it ruined yeah, the show. I, I totally agree with you. I think that's another, again, the, and talking about thirds, that's another whole subset. But back to Katie and her boundary for a minute. I think that was her attempt to actually manage her anxiety, which is like, I'm going to set a boundary. And we do that a lot, but sometimes we don't get agreement. Did she tell Greg early on, this is my boundary? Did she say, by the way, I've decided because she gave a mixed message. If at one point in your last video, you said she did say I'm falling for you. You see? Greg's picking up on the inconsistency. So if you said you were falling for me then, but now you're not saying it now, that must mean you've changed. And I can't reach you. And I feel like the baby with the still face mother. And now I'm melting down. Wow. Yeah. So I guess the question is, is how does someone, do you think he, do you think he left the show feeling like he did the right thing? Do you think he understands what went down? I think it was an unplanned breakup. I see this happen. I have anxious clients who, you know, they've got a lot of anxiety in their relationship. The next week they're like, I broke up. I'm like, really? That was unplanned. They are so anxious about the ambivalency and they just want the pain to be over. So they'll self-sabotage and throw a fight and break up though they didn't mean to. And then later they regret it. I don't know where Greg is now, but I think he might look back on that and either he could say, Katie couldn't give me what I wanted, or he's like, oh my God, I overreacted. Do you think, is that the ego that's protecting the self? Yes. So I guess, is it just a threshold where some people have the ego so big that it's me versus the world? And is that is that related to his loss of his father? Or, you know, does that heighten yeah, the ego's defense? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I really said there's unresolved grief here. What does that mean? When he says, you know, he's putting so much onto Katie and that's not really fair of her to manage all of that. And I, that's why I said, you know, go to therapy instead of going on The Bachelor, like handle your stuff, really be ready. And um, the problem is that's why I like to see older people, honestly. I mean, Katie's 30, but he still feels emotionally quite young to me. Now, a lot of times when I talk about the bachelor versus bachelorette, I'll, I'll call a guy young at 28, but not the lady. And people go, oh, that's sexist. But I just wonder, do, the, do you see in your own practice that men just take a longer time getting to know themselves and their security level or what that might be? Yeah, there's this whole thing for young men called failure to launch. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot more young women, more women in college 
doing really well. But what'll happen is I'll, you know, every generation, Dave, the goal is to surpass my parents. But what happens now, or I'm in Silicon Valley surrounded by gazillionaires, right? Lots of wealthy people. What happens if I can't surpass my own father? I quit, I give up. Sometimes I, oh, the world is hard, I can't do it. And I don't have resiliency, so I don't. So we're seeing a lot of young men who are not actually taking those steps they need to, to kind of move on into adulthood. And the women are left very frustrated. And I wonder if that's what we call the F boy, as it, as it were, you know, we've, I've been watching the F boy show and people go, oh, can you reform an F boy or not? And I go, I think so. I think, I think there's certain, like you, you live your life and you learn your lessons and then you maybe find that you want, you, you know, you want someone to share the ride with or whatever the case may be. Now, do you see the, do you see the bachelor franchise as sort of um, picking a certain uh, um, anxious type or a certain like. Absolutely. Uh, it, well, if 46% of women are anxious, most of those women are going to be more attracted to the show. We've seen, we've had very few kind of avoidant women. And if you notice, it's usually the woman who at some point says, Oh God, I should have, could have, would have said, told him I loved him earlier. Right. Um, but like, you know, Ben Higgins was like, I call it like an anxious puppy. So was P Pilot Pete. I mean, you can see their anxiety. Now, that also makes it difficult for them to make decisions, but we see those characters more often. Very fascinating. I always tell my fiance this, that if she was on the show, she'd, she'd kick all the guys off and just, uh, you know, eat craft services all day. <laughs> she'd be like, I don't need you. And that's what I'm attracted to her is that I'm the one who's always like, pursuing her and she'd be happy on the couch hanging out with or without me and uh I, I find that i find that nice it's like she's kind of off in her own world real. i mean i love it that she's keeping it real right oh yeah we keep it but, real We've, uh... back to like managing thirds which i think is an interesting concept because i think what happens for the lead that's not happening for the other person is there is this whole other storyline and in couples therapy when i talk about managing thirds that's like your in-laws your boss um your friends and you're managing all these other people and you need to be king and queen of the castle managing these other people instead of the other people managing you. And what's happening here is Katie's also managing a storyline, right? She's managing producers. She's managing this pressure, the stress that she's under to get these guys to make it to the end. And I think her ego was rocked when Michael leaves. Mm. And now it's like, what the hell? Who else is going to leave? And that's not how you imagine it playing out. I mean, every lead says my biggest worry is I get to the end and the person I wanted at the end isn't there. You know, with Katie, it's fascinating because it, she's coming off the most dramatic season of all time. I mean, they always say that, but Chris Harrison's out, the Rachel Kirkconnell, Matt James, oh, of I mean, wild. And then they have rumors they're going to cast her. The place goes nuts to the point where they actually had to create a second season of the show for Michelle Young, which was not going to happen. So she's got this doubt, like, am I enough? You know, do I create scenarios maybe with Thomas where I send him out? Do I, do I sort of heighten situations? And I, I see, and I see her coming with all the best intentions, but also I don't think she would have ever planned for this all to go down this way. And I truly see her just being like, baffled by the fact that she couldn't connect with Greg and like just moments earlier, like, I mean, we were watching it in a different timeline, but moments earlier, we're watching their perfect hometown date. Well, and that's why I said both of them felt like they got blindsided, right? She's blindsided because he's unraveling by the simple boundary she set. He's blindsided because 
tap, 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 you're not the same person you were a minute ago. And neither one of them has the communication skills. And I do think if Katie was not going to keep him till the end, then that she's not a great actress. These aren't paid actors, right? I mean, it's very hard. How can she, I think she's just being authentic and she, she knows what she'd have to say to get him to stay, but she can't. Right. So what would your advice be if for someone like Greg, if he could do this all over again to say, Hey, you're going to open your heart to people. They yeah. might not respond back. So how do we make that less of an exchange and more just like the Zach Clark of it all being like, I don't care what you tell me in response. I'm in love with you. Period. So what I say is this, he's flooding her and nervous Nicks need to calm it down. <laughs> they do. It's just, so the four steps are physiologically, somatically, you need to calm down, breathe into it, not feel because you're in hyper arousal, right? You, and you need to auto-regulate, like calm yourself down. You're looking at everybody else to tell you something and it, it never quite feels right. It doesn't land right. So you're dissatisfied. You need to also tell yourself a different story because the storyline in your life is one of rejection and abandonment. And I'm not good enough. And Greg's got some of that going too. Then I need to be rational in my thoughts. Step three, I need to think through things logically. Like just because I feel that way doesn't mean that's true. What's an alternative explanation? I need That's cognitive behavioral therapy. And then step four, I need to act with confidence. So you have to realize that if you've got all this vim and vigor, it's kind of a turnoff. It's oh, yeah. too much. I mean, he, I hate to say this, but gender differences, he looked like a really emotional woman in that moment. Yeah. Boy, if I said that, I'd be in trouble. I know. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm saying it for you. Dave. That's why we're here. I, I relate a lot back to stand-up comedy because it's like, stand-up's like you're dating the whole audience. And a lot of times, if you don't get a laugh, you can be very needy, you're spiked with adrenaline and you can start lashing out at them. And then it's like, whoa. And sometimes the best thing you can do is to fight that urge Get That's quiet and just breathe a little bit and you might find the crowd meets you there. You know, it's like- Because as I said, I think we could have had a completely different outcome if Greg was able to contain himself and maybe even not go back the second round. If he came back and pulled it together like a secure functioning person and said, you know, it was so wrong of me to expect all of this of you. You've been amazing. I have not even asked you what the hell you've been going through. How are you? And that's because- he was an anchor to her. Do you remember? I think it was after Thomas that Greg was the one to went, went to her to check on her, right? Yeah, I believe so. And that's why when Katie was like, oh, God, something's changed here. You're not the confident guy who I thought you were. So you see, he could have recovered from that. Yeah. If he had good communication skills and was able to pull himself together and, and regulate himself, then maybe we would have had a different outcome. Yeah. And that Oh, sorry. I teach people how to do. Yeah. And you know, you can't always rewrite the past, but you're going to get the same problems until you figure it out and reroute your map there. You know, we've same all done problem, it. Different person. Oh, I've said the yeah. same problems yeah. over every bad relationship I've been in, like ones that ended bad with me being needy and codependent. It always came when I wasn't employed, when I had a lot of free time. And it's like, that's these guys. They have a lot of free time for their own you know, they don't have that thing. They're not coming home from work and, and feeling like they accomplished something. And no, they're just like waiting, you know, for their turn. And it's and, like, and you know, what's even more attractive. I talked about this on my live too, Dave, is that when you come from a position of neutral or even like a little ambiguous to confidence, that's really sexy. 
right? If I come in and I'm like, hmm, I'm not so sure about this whole bachelor show, but you have changed my mind. Now, all of a sudden, I'm intrigued by you. I'm like, oh, that is really sexy because it's like I've changed your mind, right? Yeah. If I get like compliments from everybody who likes me anyway, it doesn't mean that much. But somebody who didn't like me and moved to like that means more to me. You know, it's kind of like how like I was kind of asking before getting somebody to figure out the path versus telling them this is what you did wrong. It's like, uh, it creates the spark in their own, that Eureka moment in their own head. So it's kind of like, how do you fabric, how do you like, like create that spark in somebody so that they realize they've done something wrong or, or that they've been processing something in an unhealthy way. And that's gotta be the challenge because I'm guilty of this in relationships where I'll tell my fiance what I think she's doing wrong. And it's like, you can't like, you got to come to the terms of that. I'm just going to keep doing the thing that I think is right. And, and I've been criticized enough that I kind of figure out like, all right, I've learned, Hey, maybe my way is not the best way, you know? And I mean, I wish both Katie and Greg, um, they're both super attractive people, right? It's not like any of these people I ever worry about. They're not going to find love. And I think people like to see a happy ending, but when we can look at it and dissect it and say, wow, that really was a lot of anxiety. Like that's, if I'm doing that and I see myself in this person, then what can I do to be calmer? Like, how can I take care of myself so I'm not projecting all of this onto my partner? So in attachment theory, I say, you don't have to be perfect, but you have to be secure enough. Like on a scale of one to 10, where are you, right? And you don't want to partner with someone who's the exact opposite extreme either, because that'll bring out more anxiety in you. Right. And then together, find a good enough partner and then together really partner well, communicate well, and then become secure together. And that's what's called earned attachment. And then, and then you're onto something. Earned attachment. I like that. So yeah. my last uh, sort of question or line of questions here is the audience, big audience. I mean, like, like we said earlier, I recap the show because I find the humor in, in social situations. You are part of the show because you see like, you just see like all the toxic things that are going on. And then the audience, it's all the water cooler. It's one of the last water cooler things we have. Every week we get to fill in the blanks between episodes and dissect it and talk about it. So the question is, audiences, we're not all psychologists, we're not all therapists. We see something, we go, that's a gaslighter, that's narcissist. Every guy I know calls his ex-girlfriend, uh, says she has bi a borderline personality. Do we? Do, does everyone have borderline personality disorder? Everyone's ex-wife has borderline personality disorder. So we're not we're not good at knowing what it is we're even saying. But the intention normally, at least on the show, is good. You know, the intention is to like want to do well and want a partner who's going to treat you well. But how do we limit the audience from just calling, you know, saying, I know what this is versus versus everyone being triggered by seeing it in a slightly different way? Well, so so Dave, if somebody really did get triggered, and I also have to say the episode with Barb and uh, Peter's mother, like that really triggered a lot of people too. I had a ton of people get super triggered by that, which is, this is a reminder of someone in my life. If that is you and you are identifying with that, being the victim of somebody having treated you, take a look at that. And, and when we just break it down, I'm not your therapist. I said, I am a therapist, but not your therapist. You know, that might be a post-traumatic stress response. And you have to remind yourself that was then, this is now. If you're in that relationship now, you want to get out of that because something is going on in you and you recognize that's not right. But then 
the real part of the processing is how did I let that happen? How was I attracted to that person in the first place? And what would I do different next time? So now I have to learn, ah, they reminded me of an unavailable parent and I worked too hard to get in that relationship. And then I say, I'm not going to let that happen again in my future. And that's how I learn from that. But yes, we have to be very careful. And I did a post on this. Is he a narcissist or maybe he's just an asshole? <laughs> narcissistic personality disorder truly to meet the diagnosis is 1% of the population. One, it's very rare. This means someone really evil, malicious narcissism. It, it's very rare, but it's on a spectrum. The spectrum is 10 to 15% of the population. So there are a lot of narcissists out there and they cycle through the dating pool a lot because they have failed relationships. So they're back in the dating pool again. Just be careful. So whether they're out there or not, the question is what are you gonna do to spot them? And then how are you gonna respond, respond once you figure it out? Are, are they able to be reformed or is that a trait that kind of sticks with them for life? It's back to childhood. They became that way. Um, I've got a, 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 a reel that I'm doing on this. I'm doing a series on narcissism. Um, it's very hard to change the person. They have to want to change, right? It's like the light bulb, right? You, you know, you got to want to change. Yeah. Uh, so the narcissist has got to come into therapy, which is really hard to get them to do. Interesting. And I guess that'll be the case. Uh, you know, was Greg able to watch this back and see how he was a part of the problem? There's not, there seems to be nothing worse than in being in a relationship and the other person doesn't meet you somewhere on the negotiating table. But you know? I love the show where sometimes in the final rows or afterwards, somebody will say, I learned so much about myself. And I think that's the best that I can help everyone with is what can we learn from observing? Maybe I don't personally have to go through it, but I can learn something from even watching this, us talking about it. And then how can I change enough to get what I want in my own relationship, right? Yeah, because it looks like, it seems like we, we, we recognize problematic behavior. We see it. We don't always know what the label is. We might mislabel it, but we see it. But as an audience of millions of people, the wrecking ball never hits the thing and then stays there. It just, just scorches the earth. So- yeah. And if we just even go back to the term gaslighting too, that word came from like early gaslighting where the man was trying to make his wife think that she was going crazy. The problem is we don't have enough behavior to actually call it that. So that's why I'm saying, let's be careful about labeling that behavior. I saw it as a meltdown. I saw it as he was projecting onto her all of these unmet needs. Did that feel like maliciously planned gaslighting, which is what a narcissist does over time in the phases of abuse. So you see, it's so hard to just take that snapshot and say that that's what that is. Because we haven't even seen them together long enough. We just saw um, a bad moment. You're asking us not to make snap judgments as a Bachelor audience? How dare on, you? On Twitter, right? It was a fire. And I was like, oh my gosh, I saw this before I even watched the episode. I'm like, wow, something's happening. Oh yeah. Well, look, I feel like I need to invoice, or you need to invoice me for this therapy lesson you gave me, but I really appreciate it. Um, with with In the future, if you ever want to come back on and tell us what you're <laughs> thinking, I, I know you're busy on your Instagram. I'll promote it after. There'll be a link below. You're doing okay. fantastic work. Dr. Diane Strakowski, uh, back to love doc on Instagram. I'll tag everyone. Has it been, has it been like a, a recent blow up that you're having or did my algorithm just find you? Yeah, no, it's been a recent blow up. I mean, I've, I've been, I've been 
talking about the show forever, but I think this, you know, this recent drama, I think people were just so confused and I wanted to weigh in to sort of help people through that. And I've gotten so many positive comments about just thanking me for helping them navigate this because we get, we get confused and I want to help people be less confused. Well, as an audience, we're very thirsty for, for actually like learning and improving. Yeah. And uh, it seems like the cream's rising to the top. So it's good to see that you're crushing it over there. Thank you um, so much. And I, I love your humor. I think, you know, keep doing what you're doing and yeah, let's be in touch. We'll do. All right. Well, thanks again. I appreciate okay. it. You're very welcome. Wasn't that fun? Isn't she amazing? Go over there and check her out at back to love doc on Instagram. There'll be a link in the description. Give her some love over there. She's got tons of content. She's a great resource and using the uh, bachelor or the bachelorette, the whole franchise as a common denominator, we can uh, sort of analyze these different relationships, figure out what's uh, going on. That's good. That's bad. The healthy, the unhealthy. And uh, she's doing a really amazing job. So anyway, uh, go over to her Instagram, tell her you heard her on the podcast, on the YouTube channel and uh, give some love, give her a follow over there. All right, folks, that's my time. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye now.